Welcome to Filtered Noise, the weekly-ish electronic music podcast hosted by me, Vincent Giles, and my friend Bray Grimes. This podcast uses our practices in electronic music as a lens with which to look at many things that relate directly or indirectly to this world of music. In this episode, we discuss recent announcements by Make Noise, designing your own sound, and get philosophical, linking conceptual ideas from Slavoj Žižek into the worlds of music. We also discuss ideas of quality and energy and cultural gatekeepers. Due to COVID-19 lockdowns, we were unable to record in person, and so ask some forgiveness around the audio quality. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, leave a review, and follow us on Instagram at filterednoisecast. Check out our website at filterednoisecast.wordpress.com, and you can email us using filterednoisecast at gmail.com. We hope you enjoy this episode of Filtered Noise. This week I went away and every bit of listening I did was much more purposeful than it was the last week. And every Mm. time I thought about modular synthesizer, I thought, oh, that's interesting. I'll write that down. You know, funnily enough, most of the notes that I've got are things that came out today where I was just like, oh, well, except for a couple of like the things I've been listening to. But um, yeah, there's a couple of interesting things I found today and I'm just like, oh my God, that, that's cool. Yeah. Mm, anyway, I look we'll forward talk to about you. it in the episode. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Bray, what have you been uh, working on doing, thinking about wherever you want to start for this week? Oh, yeah, everything. I mean, so for people who are still listening, we are still in lockdown mode. So um, if you're listening to this from the future, um, excuse the audio quality. If you're listening to it right now, you know, the situation we're in. Um, so a couple of things that I've been really into this week, um, today make noise room announced the O control. I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which (laughs) funnily enough flows on from our conversation of last week about sequencing and, Mm. um, and, grid-based music and it seems like it's the like one of the um only sequences i can find that really is flexible in a in a very still gestural way yeah because of the the touch pads and things like that so i thought that was really interesting and it got me thinking about music um in different ways and the possibilities of maybe adding something like that into my setup in the future mm. um yeah. So that was interesting. Um, another thing that crossed my feed, my YouTube feed this week was, uh, Andrew Wong, who's a um, oh, yeah. pretty, pretty infamous, uh, Canadian producer, mm-hmm. um, writes a lot of very different music, big ears, really great at sound design. Um, and it's a very, very clickbaity YouTube <laughs> title, which of course I'm, I'm not against either. Like, He's, he's really mastered it in that way, but it's this, it's something along the lines of this is a game changer for your sound design. Okay. Um, Interesting. Yeah. But there was a quote within that. Um, and it's all about how he creates sounds and how he doesn't always do it purposefully, but he might spend an afternoon creating sounds, um, out of objects and manipulating them in Ableton and resampling and things like that. Um, but the quote I was thinking that I'd love to get your um, take on. Um, so I'll read his quote and then I'll, I've got two takeaways from it too. Um, so his quote is, I was classically trained in music. 
And for all the benefits of that, I kind of, it, it kind of put composition on a pedestal for me. Mm. Um, blah, blah, blah. It was a serious and deliberate thing. You um, wanted to have a vision. You wanted to create something with intent. And he, then he talks about the compositional process at an instrument per se, like a conventional instrument, um, trumpet, guitar, piano, uh, bass. And then the two questions that I had, part on this takeaway first one uh, he asks the question what is an instrument and he asks this in the broader context of sound design um and the answer is sort of everything is an instrument if it can make a sound but then he said something that's kind of contra maybe controversial i don't think so personally but he said guitar is a preset so and he, and he was thinking about like every conventional instrument in general i think is what he meant but he used the guitar as an example and he said this is a compositional device within itself it is designed to have like it's been crafted over many years to get a particular sound it's a preset kind of thing most yeah. people are going to use it in x way mm. yeah interesting i like that idea your thoughts I would probably 100% agree with him. It's an interesting mm. perspective, though. Um, I mean, I refer or would refer back to, and I don't remember the name of the article, but the composer and performer Richard Barrett um, made a comment in some text or something at some stage <laughs> drawing upon Lachenmann and other composers of that type of taking the entire field of sound as a starting point for musical composition. So he talks a lot about music of possibilities. And if you think about the entire field of sound as being available for composition, then I think what, I think that idea has a lot of resonance, the guitar idea and the piano idea, that it's that, that the equivalent of a preset because it narrows the scope of possible sound down to a certain, even if extended through various playing techniques, it still is restricted massively and it isn't the full scope of sound. So if you think about the full scope of, say, a plug-in, a synthesis plug-in, for instance, and you load a preset and that dials in a, a limited subset of the possibilities of that particular synthesis plug-in in the same way that playing guitar dials in, metaphorically, a limited subset of the available possible sounds mm. of all, you know, stringed instruments and then within all stringed instruments, that's within the total field of sound and so on and so forth. I like it. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah, it did resonate with me in in that way as well. I think there, there was, like, in my head, because I have um, presets so tied to what I do as an electronic musician, mm. um, then I thought about it from a um, my, like my other hat, which is playing trumpet. Mm. And I thought, well, yeah, trumpet really is a preset. I think the way that we teach, it's very much um, we're teaching um, musicians to become presets and copycat mm. versions of other great players. Mm -hmm. um, and even when we compose for the trumpet, we compose 
for its possibilities, not its impossibilities, totally. which means that we're composing to the preset of the design of the instrument. And then you get these like um, these pieces that uh, feature extended techniques, a mm. buzzword that I have rejected in recent years <laughs> as just being yeah, techniques. Yeah, techniques. totally. I, I feel you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, so there's the new extended technique or, you know, singing while playing the trumpet and it's, it's just becomes part of the narrative until it, well, it's, it's an extended technique until it's a technique again. And then mm. it's just another technique and you're just adding to this preset. Mm. So it's just like, you're adding little plugins to these, to this yeah. one. Yeah. Or like, sound. Adding, or just taking a preset and then modifying it slightly. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, actually, within, within, within the larger scope of what that plug-in, quote unquote, is capable of, it reminds yeah. me that that idea of um, the writing for something that pre-exists, like a trumpet, for instance, and even yeah. so-called extended techniques, that still is just kind of pushing the edges of what the preset was in the first place. And it reminds me of that idea of I teach composition and one of the things that we do in those lessons is think about writing for instruments idiomatically. So thinking about the, mm. you know, characteristic, the design and all that sort of stuff of the instrument itself physically. And over the, probably the last seven years, I suppose, I've become more and more drawn towards music, composed music, forgetting improvisation for the moment, but composed music where it is actually composed to be possibly impossible. If And yeah. that sounds contradictory, but I think of music that's written f like Aaron Cassidy, for instance, who writes in a lot of quasi tablature or genuine tablature notation for instruments that yeah. weren't designed like that. And so you're pushing against the limits of that, that instrument's physical capabilities and that player's physical capabilities. And that leads to, it's obviously possible because it gets executed, but what was, I guess what was prescribed by the score isn't actually necessarily what's rendered. It's just the best approximation of it. And that becomes an interesting, you know, midway point or like a an interesting yeah <laughs> i'm going to use the word sublime and i'll come back to that later but it becomes, <laughs> a, it becomes a sublime point or a sublime object that is um yeah impossible but yeah possible. um i'm glad you brought up aaron cassidy because i know i've studied the score i've not performed it or would I able to be performant? <laughs> um, what, what then renders these forces visible is a strange smile, which oh, is God. a piece for solo trumpet that was um, premiered by Tristram Williams, who I yeah. was fortunate enough to learn off at one stage. But um, yeah, leading into that sort of comp like conversation as um, yeah, I think that's interesting too, because we're now as composers and as electronic music musicians, a lot of the time our composing is done at the instrument. Mm. More recently, having played um, your works, doing some uh, studies um, or maybe even pieces based on Stockhausen mm. with that uh, um, at least 
um, vocabulary in mind mm-hmm. um, with a world of palette, like a palette of sound in front of me. Um, sometimes I strip it back. Like we had a performance a couple of weeks ago where instead of bringing my whole modular gear and thinking, Oh, I've got these many options and start plugging and doing things like that. I took the DFAM and mm. the OPZ and that was maybe even too much <laughs> at times. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think that the thing about composing outside the, the actual, the outside of notation and developing sound ideas rather than, uh, notational ideas. Like mm. we're not, when we, sh- we, everyone knows how a melody sounds in their head. Mm. Um, there's not a person on earth that can, um, strip a melody out of a harmonic structure. I don't think. I mean like it from, from them hearing it and just saying, Oh, I can identify the melody. Sorry. Is what I meant. So it, without regard to hearing it in a harmonic context, you mean? They'd still hear it in the harmonic context, I think. But, um, but I would hope that um, they are able to identify the melody, not strip it of its harmonic context but also oh, within right. the, in, in the context of harmony, of a <laughs> harmony or a piece. So like people can hum and whistle and sing, yeah. I think, and they can roughly play rhythms, maybe mm. with their own swing or their mm. own uh, lopsided beat. But we, we are so familiar of that from childhood even that we're able to do that. But to come up with a unique sound um, uh, or a sound you. idea is is much more difficult. I mm. think. It's interesting that, that that idea of singing and humming is interesting. I, I remember, um, and I don't remember where it came from, unfortunately, but this idea that people who think themselves amelodic, for lack of a better word, you, you'll often mm. hear people that might think themselves musically ignorant or something like that, musically naive, something along those lines. You'll hear somebody say, oh, I'm tone deaf. And mm. I read this fantastic thing, must have been eight years ago at least, possibly longer, that was like a, a counteract or a, a counter-argument to that idea of tone deafness. And basically mm. it goes like this. If you claim yourself tone deaf, then it, it suggests a musicality or a melodicness or basically for for people that are listening and you know have some musical formal musical education whether in an institute or outside of an institute basically what that kind of translates to me is poor oral skills and Mm. and and no direct connection between the inner ear for lack of a better word and the expressive the outward expressiveness through the vocalizations so yeah. being, able to, being able to mentally hear a tune and then translate that into some sort of vocalisation or some sort of rhythmic element. But yeah. what's cool is that the idea of tone deafness is impossible, not technically impossible, but basically tone deafness, if you, if you are genuinely tone deaf, you are actually just deaf. And so yeah. there's, or at least partially deaf in some aspect, and, and so there's this idea that to be genuinely tone deaf 
you know, I couldn't, if I were tone deaf, I wouldn't be able to discern your voice from anybody else's voice. I might be able to discern what you say, but I wouldn't be able to discern timely that it's Bray Grimes talking to me as opposed to my partner, Emily. Or yeah. Like yeah. Uh, and then you'd have bigger issues to worry about. Exactly. If you couldn't tell the difference between me and Emily. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll, I'll keep it short. The last takeaway I had from uh, this conversation that Andrew Wong brought up was um, his, um, his sort of overarching theme of why he was explaining this was it's important to sculpt a unique sound. Mm. in in music and he said that's irrespective of genre or anything like that um to which i'm particularly intrigued by because uh in in a sense of being bringing back to electronic musician um musicianship and how this podcast came about i feel like even though the possibilities of modular aren't infinite there's many more than any other instrument that I sit at, mm-hmm. I think. Any other analogue instrument I sit at, mm-hmm. definitely. Rather than a computer, which yeah, has a level of infinity that's, I guess, a bigger infinity. Ooh, that's a big topic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I guess, uh, yeah, and again, like, um, I, I don't compose electronic music at a computer per se. Mm, yeah. So uh, I do like the limitations and um, my, my my abilities with computers in general. I've been kept, I've kept simple. I did play <laughs> around with title cycles on your recommendation. Oh, cool. Uh, I, yeah, no, I didn't get anything too great out of it, but I, you, I had a start. And, you definitely need a guiding hand with it. I mean, I, I think I was saying last week, it's taken me nearly four years to, to get yeah. past that initial hurdle. And I am a, I can code and I can yeah. program and, but the title cycles is, is a different beast because it's performative and the performativity is a totally different way of thinking about coding compared to non-temporal coding, you know? Yeah. Which is all coding really. Yeah. I, I feel it kind of felt like at one point, uh, like the Indiana Jones scene where the rolling <laughs> balls behind you and you're just like, Oh fuck, I got to find a way out of this. <laughs> anyway. So what have you been looking into this week, Vince? Actually, before I do move on to that, I, I cause I haven't been doing much to be honest. I've been doing a bit more. <laughs> I've been doing some more sample wrangling with title cycles. Um, I've been reading a lot of Harry Potter uh, for a bit of time out. I was that's gonna, a, yeah. I was going to say that's a really big step from Zizek to. Yeah. Well, I've been reading Zizek, <laughs> but. Oh, um, okay. Right. But I, I've, I was on annual leave and I just wanted to have a bit of a mental holiday. So I haven't been doing that much to be perfectly honest, but, um, I just want to go back to Andrew Huang and that idea of designing your own sound and somebody who is also a bit of a YouTube personality. This also ties back to the, um, O controls, no control, zero control. Yeah. Noise thing. The, I, I, I heard it on their thing. It's O control. O control. So in the, in the web address, it's spelled O-H. Oh, interesting. And I, I only saw that today when I was uh, looking at it on the Make Noise website. Okay. Um, yeah. And 
Yeah, it seems like it's got this sort of infamy because of the O coast mm. of being because there's been a couple of YouTubers who have used it and then they've said the zero coast, no coast, yeah. O coast. And even today I was reading someone who was obviously doing a sponsored review because it came out the same day that it was mm-hmm. uh, announced and he called it the no coast, the no control. Mm. And I was like, ah, oh, interesting. So yeah. What's that by any chance Heinbach? No, I didn't listen to Heinbach's one. It's probably the only one I, that I'm interested in that I haven't heard yet. Right. I've heard, I've seen uh, Luke Pop's one, which oh, yeah. they're always great. They are. So, so, yeah. uh, so the reason I bring that up is, is Heinbach is someone who I, I quite enjoy listening to and watching um, on YouTube. And I really enjoy his music as well as an electronic composer. Um, but he did a Q&A, I think it was January or something, with his Patreon people. One of the things was, one of the questions was, how do you get, some, I'm going to paraphrase, but it was basically, how do you get, you know, what plugins do I use to get my own set kind of thing? It was along those lines. Mm. How do you get something akin to an analog setup in the box on a computer? Mm. And Heinbach, whose name is Stefan, I think, um, mm. I think Heinbach's response was design all your own sounds. Use no presets. No, use just do everything yourself. So if that if that includes like, you know, tapping on a window to record that sound and then modifying it and developing it into something cool, do that. You know. So that that was interesting. That ties back to the Andrew Huang quite well um but also the his review of the o control was really interesting and he's i think he's about to release a few tracks that he composed with it but he compared it to the which i'm interested in and and it's the thing that's got me interested in the device the most it's got he compared it to the buchler music easel but a kind of Mm. a simpler version of it like a mini version and considering those things are like three thousand four thousand dollars and and O yeah. with O control together is about eighteen hundred dollars new, I guess, in Australia. Um, yeah, not even. It yeah. probably wouldn't even be that. Well, the, the O control is going to going to go for seven hundred and nine at this stage. Okay. And the O coast yeah. is what eight ninety nine or something, brand new. Yeah, you can pick them up cheaper, obviously, mm. but um, yeah. so yeah, it's you know half the price for a monophonic, but very expandable kind of. Um, flexible thing that was his contention and I thought that was really interesting um, mm. and some interesting overlap there between the, the design your own sound thing you're talking about yeah mm. absolutely I think um, like Heinbach especially is one of those he's he's so prolific in sound design mm-hmm. um, just in terms of his, not only just his output but also the means to an end he uses a lot of test equipment to generate sound yes yeah and all and all of the things that i've heard from him and every everything that he releases i'm very very much interested in his process but i'm kind of like i, I kind of yeah i do understand like how he sees it like the bukla but at the same time i think it's diff- it's different in a way Oh, or it's different enough. It's different. It's different enough that I'm more interested in it. The other thing about music easels is, oh gosh, I would love one, but 
for for what they are, I'm kind of priced out. I think. Um, isn't everyone? I mean, anyone who didn't get them in the first like generation of them is <laughs> unless yeah, unless you're very wealthy. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, true. Yeah. So I, I I wanted to bounce an idea off you. I've got a few things written down that I've come across this week. Um, mm-hmm. But while just we're on the subject briefly of the music easel, if you haven't heard it, I highly recommend listening to Morton Sabotnik's Silver Apples of the Moon. Morton Sabotnik. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Never. I've not heard of him. I'm it probably going to sound like a noob to all those people listening out there. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. He, you know, he's a bit like um, Milton Babbitt of that kind of generation, oh, okay. but not a serial composer, or at least not a strictly serial composer, and a lot less well-known. Now, Milton, but Mil- I wouldn't say that Milton Babbitt is well all that well-known in the scheme of things, but... Savotnik is much less well-known. And that, that album, there's another one called Something Something Bulls, but Silver Apples of the Moon, fantastic synthesis album. Okay. Um, always in for recommendations, as we know. So. <laughs> so that's what you've been listening to this week? No, it's not. Um, it's just, it relates to the music easel stuff that we were chatting about. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so I did want to run this thing through past you though. So I came across this, uh, actually probably last week, if I'm being honest, but, um, and it's, it came from a thread on the title cycles club that I'm, that I'm using to learn title cycles. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was based around this idea of, uh, feedback for artists. I haven't included the whole essay, but we can chuck a link in if people want to read it. It's on a website called thewhitepube.co.uk. Um, the white pube? Yeah, as in pubic hair, the white pube. Yeah. Um, which yeah. makes me giggle. I, I was um, trying to hold it together, to be honest with you, <laughs> so that I, that I wasn't caught on, <laughs> on record as laughing at something so naffly titled. <laughs> it's great, isn't it? So yeah. I'll, I'll just read this because I think it, makes, it will make the most sense if I just read this. The short quote from this essay um, by one of the white pube authors, Gabrielle Della Puente. And it's about a workshop that they attended by uh, someone called Thomas Hirschhorn or Hirschhorn. I'm not entirely sure on the pronunciation there. Anyway, but Hirschhorn explained that there's a problem in how we connect with the art there. Uh, sorry, I'm going to try that again. But Hirschhorn explained that there's a problem in how we connect with the art there based on its level of quality alone because quality is always about exclusion. It's about what's not in the museum. This is in, but that one's out. He proposed that instead of talking about art in terms of just quality, we think about its, quote, energy, end quote, instead because energy is much more unstable and open. And the way he saw it was like everything in a museum has quality, but for you it might not have energy, like you might not connect with it. Art made by you in your bedroom might not have quality because it hasn't been validated by the powers that be, but it could hold great energy to someone. It could make them cry or laugh or it could move them. And so I just wanted to bounce that off you and see if you had any response to that or any thoughts of that idea of this quality versus energy versus curatorial dictatorship, which is implicitly there and it's in the full essay. It's gatekeeper, cultural gatekeeper 
element of it. Yeah. Um, I have so many thoughts on this. <laughs> um, Perfect. Which is, yeah, which is great because I've always talked to, um, so I've been talking to one of my mentors in particular who I like to um, talk to about music a lot. Um, uh, and the, like the, the subjective quality of music to us, and maybe I, it took me a while to get talked around to it, but his version of it, which is passed into me, uh, is intent. Mm-hmm. And intent is that sort of magical thing where um, you can't actually describe what it is, um, but it might be the difference between, like in terms of music, it might be the difference in playing, like say in the context of jazz music, playing your own line with as much conviction as possible Mm, as opposed to playing someone else's half borrowed lick because it fits. Yeah, sure. And it is almost impossible to quantify Mm. um, in, in those terms. I mean, it's, it's possible to quantify when it's not there in some ways in the context of jazz music mm-hmm. um, and, and often in there are other musics where it's pretty prevalently um, just borrowing, I think too much, maybe no, it's not always about that, but um, energy and intent, I think are those uh, two words that might go together in the way I think about music mm-hmm. um, because the way I see it and the way I feel about it is I no longer play music that doesn't feel good to play to me. So a lot of that, so for for taking that um, example of the artist in their bedroom, who's created something that's full of energy Mm. and it might make them cry or laugh or, you know, have these emotional reactions to music. Um, I think that that's quite, um, that is the selfish component of music to me. Mm. And I, it's not that I don't want to elicit a reaction out of people when I create art or create music. It's that I can't guarantee it. (laughs) And I do want to make those things, but realistically the music's for me um, to share. Mm. Presumably when you do that, that, that gives that conviction that when you're doing it for yourself, then you're going to be expressing your own joy and enjoy your own, um, whatever the word is to somebody else. Yeah. They're they're going to vibe off that as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that sometimes it's because it is a, it is a bit about personalities in that way too, especially with improvised music. Mm -hmm. Um, in, in general, um, is that that because there is no script, it is, um, more about for lack of a better term, let's say vibe, but energy intent, I think they kind of, these are all sort of the words that, uh, belong in this sort of unquantifiable subjective category of music to me, mm. the objective parts of music to me, are time, cause it all exists within time. Uh, whether it's short or long, I think by recording it, that's a, another topic. We won't talk about that. Um, uh, 
maybe timbre texture noise if you want to call it like the noise it makes the crunch it has to your ear and then uh, frequencies so like how many beats per cycle or mm-hmm. yeah hertz purely hertz so those are objective parts of music and they always exist within music no matter what it is doesn't mean that everything that is that is music though i think that's where intent comes in yeah and energy things like that yeah like bird song is a perfect example of that um obviously the birds have intent and usually it's to find a mate or to call for food or call for a, a relative or something like that. Um, but it doesn't, but that's where it sort of draws the line. And I think the, the element there is humans, humans mm-hmm. organizing the sound. Without going into a lot of detail, and maybe this is a conversation for a different podcast. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, yes. um, yeah. But song, songbirds. Uh, Filter noise. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but songbirds are one of the, the few species of bird that don't call purely for biological reasons. Which is really interesting. There you go. Yeah. Hmm. Um, yeah. It's, but uh, yeah. I, and then sort of relating it back to Andrew Huang's thing. But of <laughs> course, you can borrow from nature. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Thanks for that. It, it was just, it, it, I read this article and I'll send you the link so you can have a proper read of it as well. Um, yeah. What just, about you? What, what are your thoughts on it? I think, it's, I, I think the, the message of that is really great. I, I I've always been somebody who prefers, for me, a lot of the energy stuff comes from lack of refinement, even if the craft is extraordinarily high. So, Mm. um, you know, I like stuff that's a bit rough. It's not necessarily, if we're talking about electronic music, that's not, Mm. it's either intentionally lower produced, for lack of a better word, or it's just not perfect. It has a real sense of um, performativity. And, uh, and I think that's a word that, that I like for that. You know, for example, your Philly Buster, your recent Philly Buster release, Bustle. Oh, um, oh thanks. Has, has, that's all right. It has a real sense of playfulness and, and liveness. Whereas mm. even if stuff that's com- composed entirely on a computer can still have that. Mm. And Absolutely. And it's it's one of those things, and I, so that's the the energy part of it. I think that's really important, and for me, that's much more interesting. It's also my interest in horrifically complex notated music is that actually mm. the horrific complexity leads to aliveness that it can actually be subdued by less complex music. Ironically, but that's a whole other conversation for another time. And then, mm. second, secondly, my the, my response is that this idea of um, quality being basically defined by people in powerful positions, that really resonates Mm. with me. And and changing the – I've resisted for a long time the discourse around how something feels, but I like Mm. – or or the the shift of the discourse away from quality to how it makes you feel. But the term energy – not a big fan of, but I like the idea of shifting the um, discourse away from the power structures that do define quality and into a much mm. more broader perspective of how people connect with things. 
Mm. That that to me is interesting and and definitely worth proposing. And and on that kind of on that topic, like we talked about no compliments uh, EP called yeah. compliments last week, and I've had yeah. to listen to it this week, and that's definitely something that it obviously is high quality, mm. but it's also yeah. just got a real connecting vibe, a real energy to it that I really like. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, last week we talked about um, um, Alison, No Compliments, mm. um, single Pink Musk, and then the same week she released an album, yeah. which was, I of course, Bandcamp had their waiving of uh, fees mm. last week, so I made sure that I um, supported a few independent artists at that stage. Um, and I got a lot of support too, which was, which was great, putting out an album that week. Yeah. Um, I was overwhelmed with the amount the amount of people who actually bought um a band camp record which is essentially a 20 minute jam track because i missed the office uh, <laughs> yeah but but back to allison it's these are all pieces where where each one of them is crafted in a in a way that to me feels organic mm. it never feels strained there is a couple of odd parts of those um her music as well and i don't mean odd in a bad way i mean odd as in it takes you by surprise um there's a surprising timbre or you know you don't mm. expect a pad to be so aggressive or for a melody to be in such a um like soft flowing way mm -hmm. considering the you know there's really some great musical choices that are made on that album definitely as well. Mm. yeah absolutely yeah what else have you been listening to this week oh well a couple of things but i wanted to run something else that i've been thinking about this week if, if that's all right but um, sure go for it so last week we talked about zizek and lacan i read some read some more zizek oh yeah yeah um this this couple of things that he summarizes lacan's imaginary symbolic and real which different podcast go listen to a philosophy podcast on that um because lacan is uh well beyond my comprehension having never read any lacan um but zizek finally got around in this book to defining what a sublime object is properly and i love this definition and it made me think about music really interest in an interesting way so Zizek's sublime object is an object that is the embodiment of the lack in the other, in the symbolic order, which I'll talk about in a sec. So to, to paraphrase that or to expand on that, the sublime object is an object which cannot be approached too closely. If we get too near it, it loses its sublime status and becomes an ordinary vulgar object. It can persist only in an interspace, in an intermediate state, viewed from a certain perspective half seen so that's that's directly quoted from the sublime object of ideology but the sublime object is is an object that is the embodiment of the lack in the other so thinking it, you know right now ray is an other to me so the sublime object if there was one in this interaction would be an object that is the embodiment of something that I find appealing about Bray, but is actually lacking mm. in Bray. So it's an imaginary. Huh. Yeah. 
It's, it's such a fascinating concept to ponder in the context of electronic, in any kind of music, because music mm. has this appeal to us, right? This energy, if we like, but actually often on closer inspection, that's not really there. It's really hard mm. to find through analysis or to find through closer inspection what it is about something that makes us connect with it. Mm. If you would what, um, Yeah. I feel like there is music out there that doesn't have intent, energy. I, I think I'm thinking of those. I'm going to ponder this more throughout the mm. week as well. Um, the words intent and energy. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously I'm going to, I'm going to read up on it and things like that. Um, but yeah, I do feel like there are definitely, there's definitely music out there that doesn't have that energy for me. It doesn't have that, that quality that, that that's definitely, it's, it's just like every other kind of music in the fact that it doesn't have this quality. But to me, there are some that do and some that don't. Absolutely. And that becomes subjective, yeah. right? Yeah. I kind of feel like it's, it might, this might be a stupid analogy, but it's like your favorite pair of socks <laughs> in a way. <laughs> I'm, uh, uh, but I know which pair are my favorite socks in my sock drawer. Mm-hmm. And I don't wear them that often. And I, couldn't really tell you other than the pattern that's on them, which is like uh, kind of irrelevant because I don't really get to see it most of the day <laughs> because it's in the shoe. Yeah. Um, but I'm, and I've got same socks from the same brand. And I know that this pair of socks is the, the one um, that I like. Right. It's kind of like that, right? Yeah. So the analogy because- is that works. Yeah. That, as an analogy, that, that totally works. The important part is that the sublime object isn't the sock, but the mm. quality that you favour about the sock. Yeah, and so it's not the sock itself. That's right. And so you, in approaching the sock and trying to inspect the sock to find out what it is that you love about the sock, the sublime quality will disappear because you realise it's mm. just a sock. Mm. <laughs> don't talk me out of my favorite pair of socks man i love no, it. I, I, I won't <laughs> i won't lose that quality but it's just such a fascinating yeah. concept i think yeah i think it's it's the yes yeah, strikingly ingrained in day-to-day life as well mm-hmm. yeah yeah i yeah i get the feeling if i think about it too much i've yeah, maybe I will look for it more as well. But now I feel like I already look for it without knowing it. Yeah. So so there's this thing, Zizek talks about it a lot in relation to eroticism, um, mm. which is kind of interesting and, and how, you know, when courting a partner, there's a lot of that sublim, that sublimeness that you can't quite put your finger on. And that for, for some people in some circumstances, that disappears upon, you know, getting closer to mm. the object of the desire. Right. Yeah. So without going into a lot of detail around that, because again, whole other podcast, not the topic today. I did want to cover just a few the, the three orders of Lacanian psychoanalysis, which super briefly, because I don't understand them, um, and I'm being mindful of the time. Um, yeah. So 
because that, that quote about the sublime object talked about the symbolic order. So the symbolic order is where an object, and that we don't necessarily mean a, a physical object, though we can, is def its identity is obtained by difference to the other. It's contrary but complement, sorry, contrary but not complementary in any way to the other. It takes the place of the lack in the other and it embodies the lack in the other. So that's, that's mm. objects in the symbolic order. The two other orders are the imaginary, where we have two poles of opposition that are complementary. They give each other what the other lacks, and I've got mm. some musical ideas around that, which I think are really interesting. And they form a harmonious totality. So that's the imaginary um, realm, or the imaginary mm -hmm. um, order. And then you've got the real order, which is, immediate coincidences of, of, of the opposites. Each pole passes <laughs> immediately into its opposite and each is its own opposite. Okay. Ah. Okay, so these three things, again, this is super deep stuff that we I will probably be thinking about for years to come and I need to read yeah. the book and I need to read some Lacan. But these to me have some really interesting musical things, especially when combined with the sublime object concept mm. so the imaginary for instance just reminds me of counterpoint like strict counterpoint where mm -hmm. you have any any movement that you, you know you can't have two movements in the same direction because it loses a voice it, it, it lacks that otherness and it loses that form of harmonious totality mm -hmm. um, each line gives the other line what the other line lacks so mm -hmm. if you have a leap in one line, you'll have stepwise in the other. If you have, and, and mm -hmm. so on, so they're all the same. Anyway, what are your thoughts? I'm rambling about this because I'm really excited about this as a concept. I'm thinking of actually writing a lecture about this because it's so interesting to me. But um, that's, what are your thoughts? I think, I think that's a really great idea. Um, immediately, the one that attracts me the most is the polar opposites one um, <laughs> because I think there's something about contradiction and conflict that, is actually quite attractive to all of us. Totally. Um, not necessarily, yeah, not necessarily um, uh, like physical or emotional conflict because I don't think that that's actually a necessary thing to have conflict of ideas or conflict of um, uh, like a, a conflict of sound to bring it back mm. to what we do. Um, probably the best example of this is that I could think of that I, something I've been working on recently is uh, so it's a really simple idea um, and but it's wave folding. Oh yeah. You know, I think that's like probably it's really beautiful and it feels really organic, but it's, it's just uh, it's two waves or more in some cases that are, you know, should, like it's not necessarily that they shouldn't match, but they don't. They mm -hmm. actually just don't match. Um, and I find that really interesting as well, especially like there's this sound in my head recently that maybe is coming from playing Moogs for the better part of a couple of years, but it's triangular and um, pulse waves. Mm -hmm. So those two waves together just evoke such a warmth to me. Mm. There's something about those Moogs since I think it's also a combination of the ladder filter and a whole heap of other stuff too. Yeah, sure. But there, there's something about a Moog triangle wave and a Moog pulse wave that's actually probably really, really attractive, even like you could detune it to make it the most an 
insufferable interval possible. Yeah, totally. And it would still sound warm and beautiful to me. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I, yeah. Yeah, I'd, li- I'd like to hear something. Send me, record something for me sometime. Oh, I'd have to. Uh, and so recent development, I did sell the mother oh, a, while, wow. a little while ago, but I still got the D fam and that has triangle and pulse wave. So cool. I, I have been, pl- I was just playing it before you. Nice. On, so. mm. Awesome. Cool. So what have you been listening to, um, bro? That's a good question. And I have been, I've, on your advice, I listened to clipping oh, yeah. uh, th- throughout the week. Um, which is, it's phenomenal. Isn't I think it? it's, it's extremely underrated. Um, yeah. It reminds me a lot of Cellar Beyond, which is a Steve okay. Lehman record that he did with, um, I'm, I'm not, I can't remember the nationality, mm-hmm. but um, not native to the USA, um, rappers. And it's a, uh, beautiful oh Zella Beyond's the name of the rapper right um but yeah that's a beautiful album um and it reminded me a lot of that in several ways and I was yeah I was inspired to listen to that Zella Beyond with Steve yeah, Lehman great. record again I'll check that out. um yeah it's it's fantastic I think it's probably one of the best I don't want to, I don't like using the word crossover but it's kind of that um without being too third streamy kind of crossover okay. it's not like oh here's this person and we're going to put them in this genre it's very much more well thought out which mm. i think clipping is kind of evokes that sort of thing yeah, as well right. because yeah. i wouldn't even though it is it is very much a hip-hop record there are elements of it that just remind me of like uh i don't know sort of maybe even junkyard percussion and yeah there's definitely elements of um and rawness to it which is again that quality intent and you know energy um so i've been listening to that um another thing i've been listening to um and i've gone back to listening to after a while is comparative irrelevance on youtube okay um comparative irrelevance is a youtube channel who does a lot of um music with three modules so he'll take three modules from his euro rack and um play around with those so um i've been sort of on since selling the mother on the hunt for more modules Mm -hmm. again comes and goes it's a cycle um (laughs) there was a quote circle of something anyway (laughs) i like it Yeah. yeah uh so yeah, I've been looking at um, some of the three module. He does a lot with uh, Make Noise and Mutable and IntelliGel mm. modules. Um, and they're very, very inventive given the lim- limited scope. So <laughs> they're always uh, a good thing to, for me to check out. Mm. Cool. How about you, Vince? Well, I've already mentioned uh, Alison's No Compliments EP, um, which mm-hmm. I Great loved. Up. Really, really, really yeah. good. Um, I mentioned your Philly Buster, though I didn't go into much detail on it. Um, but I just I'd recommend it to any listeners. It's a it's a real it feels like a prolonged improvisation, which I assume it was, but it flows really well and compliments Bray on um returning to earlier ideas. So there's this real nice sense of recurrent themes throughout it, which come in and out and, and develop quite organically which 
which I, I don't know if you want to comment on that at all. Oh, well, first of all, thank you very much, um, not just for buying the album, but for listening to it. Um, I'd prefer more people listen to it than buy it. Um, which is, <laughs> yeah, and, and so far that has been the case. Um, right. So, um, yeah, so the idea is behind it was um, I started writing it when lockdown the lockdown in Australia mm. began to happen. And a lot of these ideas I, uh, I hadn't really touched and I'd just sort of had a few kind of things sitting in little drawers and on the OPZ and which is kind of like a great little draw in itself <laughs> of like musical that. ideas. If you, yeah, find, yeah. In, yeah if you find something and you like it, you can just plug it in and have it in its very expanded form in this mm. little box. But it's all about uh, missing the office environment and that confluence of um, music styles and genres and sounds that you get out of working, as I do, in an environment with a lot of musicians who are into all sorts of different music. Yeah, um, I can imagine. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, if I look two desks um, in front of me, um, there's uh, one of our audio technical solutions people, um, Matt Livingston. I'm going to give him a quick shout out because he's awesome. Um, he has a band called Antagonist AD, which are an incredible metal band. Oh, cool. <laughs> they, they're all from New Zealand originally. I think all from New Zealand. Um, he certainly is. And they're amazing. They're really, really like metal metal and then we have um alex yabsley i'll give him a shout out too because he's a dot a y is his that's right dot a y yeah. yeah and he organizes um eight bit i yeah. think it's called which is a chiptune eight bit collective or square sounds yeah uh, square sounds. Yeah, definitely square sounds. Um, or he's part of the committee or panel um, mm. who organizes that. And that's all chiptune music. So we get through our Spotify list playlist and, at work. Um, and I don't want to shout out Spotify because fuck them. But, um, <laughs> but we, do, we do use Spotify. They use Spotify at work. Hell, I um, use Spotify. So when, <laughs> sorry? I use Spotify. I, I, I mean, I, I'm not sure if I object to it anymore. I don't think I do. Um, yeah, I, I don't care to. But yeah. whatever I do, I'm, at least as, as long as you're paying a subscription, I think yep. you're doing okay. Um, but, yeah, walking past the the marketing office, which is where the speakers are, you'll get the most random things you've never heard of. We get mm. some folksy vibes. We get some hip hop vibes and dance and techno and metal and all these other things. Um, and I hope that it kind of felt like it would be a day at work compressed into 20 mm. odd minutes. Yeah, cool. And I think, feel like I, but I mean, it still has to be that one environment. So there yeah. is this sort of, uh, um, uh, what do I want to say? Not finality to it, but I, I can, yeah, a, yeah. A unity. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Great, great, great work. And all on the OPZ, right? Uh, yeah. All created on the OPZ, which was, awesome. um, it, it's, it was a lot of fun. There are times where I 
was very mad at the OPC. <laughs> it's, it can, it's a really, really great tool. And I think it's really, really good. And for the most part, it was easy. But sometimes if you like, because they now have sampling as part of it, um, you know, that Josh Kyle example, mm. I had, a, had a, um, a snippet of a gig I did with Josh Kyle, with, uh, we did with Josh Kyle, sorry. Um, and I was manipulating that and the manipulations of it were so easy, but actually trimming the sample down to the length that I wanted, I was, it took a, it took a while yeah, on the OPC. Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't even use, um, I mean, I used, I recorded into Cubase. I used the iPad as well as a, as a visual interface for it, but I didn't manipulate any of the sounds in a computer and then reload them onto OPC. It was all done on that. Yeah. Challenging, but I'm, I'm happy. And then I wiped it today so I can start again. Ooh, (laughs) I see. Yeah. That's, that's brave in its own way too, actually to clean slate. I like it. Mm. So the yeah. other album that, that I do want to, want to mention, because I, and look, to be honest, I'm not 100% sure I like this album yet. Um, I've been listening to it on and off for a couple of days. Um, is Fiona Apple's new album, Fetch the Bolt Cutters. It's not an electronic album. At least there's no more electronic than any of her music ever is, which is to say that it's, I wouldn't consider it electronic music. There's a couple of things that I thought were really interesting about this album. The first is that it was recorded primarily in GarageBand, um, <laughs> which in its own right is interesting. I mean, GarageBand gets poo-pooed a lot compared to Logic and, you know, Pro Tools and Ableton. Yeah. Those things. We, br- we briefly touched on that last week. Mm, yeah. Um, but, but, I mean, GarageBand is great if you, if you can use it. Um, and considering it's free, well, it's the cost of an Apple product, I suppose. Um, but this album is also really interesting because it uses a heap of found sound for percussion. So hmm. jumping back to that Andrew Huang, this has been an interestingly uh, on topic, but ju- jumping back to the Andrew Huang's idea and the Heimbach idea of designing all your own sound, hmm. there's a, with the exception of the piano and the voice, and a few other bits and pieces. Pretty much all of the percussion on this album is all found sound from, mm. I think, Fiona's house. Yeah, right. So you get like percussion made from mixing bowls and whisks and all this kind of stuff. And it, it sounds mm. amazing. It also sounds very much, I don't know if you ever listened to it, um, it was very popular, I guess, around 2003, 2004, but the, the eels. Um, song Mr. E's Beautiful Blues. No. Well, the Eels, more interestingly, the drummer would often use suitcases and rubbish bins and stuff for drums. So it's got a lot of this kind of feeling where everything was recorded in an actual space. There's a, there's a real sense that it hasn't been overproduced and it sounds very much in the environment that it was recorded in. So mm. I, I love it from the perspective of production. I... I like Fiona Apple's work more generally, and I've usually found previously that her work tends to take a little while to grow on me to, to the fact that I love it. So I don't love this album yet. I'm not sure if I ever will, but I'd recommend it just as an interesting listening experience because it it is so sound designed. It is so curious in that sense. Mm. I I do like that curiosity that. I find in musicians 
Um, I think there's a couple of other musicians that spring to mind when you talk about that idea. Um, Gautier yeah. is one that sort of springs to mind. Again, like I think with Gautier, I, I probably have a similar thing that as you do to Fiona Apple as I did to Gautier initially, mm-hmm. which is I thought it was a just a cheery little pop song and it's great kind of mm-hmm. thing. And then I listened to it again. Uh, it came on the radio again. I was just like, wow, there's lots going on here. And it made mm. me investigate the works a lot further. And the other one was Bonavere. Um, oh yeah. Right. Who, who um, I might be misremembering it. So I won't say it, but um, regardless of that, he uses um, and his musicians use live a variety of things that they're not natural. Like they're not, uh, gifted at playing necessarily. Mm, cool. um, this is what um, Colin Stetson credits to learning the French horn. Um, Interesting. Is playing in Bonavere. And huh. Colin Stetson is a monster saxophone player. He certainly is. The, oh, yeah. I had the opportunity to see him live when he was in Melbourne on as a solo show. And it was one of the best concerts I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> but um, yeah, and I think there's like, there's much more inventiveness in an environment of a big band like that, where each sound that they make is maybe one sound, but it's one very particular sound at a very particular moment mm. um, or that, or maybe not even so particular, but maybe they're going for that, that unspoken of quality, that in- energy, that intent, but it is that sound that they're committing to at the time. Um, and I'm doing this because I'm thinking about percussion. Yeah. Um, with that sort of thing. Cause I think it's very much, much more of a, like there's, it's easier to let go in some cases. Absolutely. Mm. Wonderful. Yeah. So that's, that's my listening. And, um, mm. yeah. yeah, should we wrap it up? Let's, let's do that. Um, that was a really, well, really great chat. Yeah. Thanks to everyone who's listening. If there's people listening we're really enjoying it i am anyway yeah i am absolutely this is great it's the most awake i've felt all day and it's you know yeah. After 8 PM <laughs> yeah uh it's um yeah i've really been enjoying these chats and it's made me uh think about music in all in in weird and wonderful ways already so i'm looking mm. forward to the next one yeah me too um, and i think the plan is that we're going to try and do these every monday as a release date yeah. Um, if you want to subscribe, I think we're on, we're definitely on SoundCloud on Vince's SoundCloud. Yeah. Um, we've got a website, which is filterednoisecast.wordpress.com. Yep. Uh, and we're also on Instagram. Find us there at filterednoisecast. And, and if you are Thank you for listening. listening to this, the music that opens and closes this episode is by Melbourne artist Bribery. Follow him on Instagram at thisisbribery. If you would like to get in contact with us, those addresses again are Instagram at filterednoisecast, filterednoisecast.wordpress.com, and our email address is filterednoisecast at gmail.com. If you like this podcast, why not subscribe? At the time of publication, this is available through SoundCloud, see our website, but in the near future you will be able to subscribe to us through most of your favourite avenues for podcasts. Until next time.